Hey everyone, it's Alex. Before we get going with the episode, this is just one of those weird things that happens. We recorded this episode the day before the great actor, Tom Wilkinson, passed away. We mentioned Wilkinson in this episode, and I just thought it would be strange to hear us talking about him, but then not hear us acknowledge his tragic death. We will be talking about Wilkinson a lot more in our next episode. Stay tuned for that. Rest in peace, Tom Wilkinson. Okay, favorite about face movies, here we go. Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Captain? Yes, Admiral, <laughs> yes. I'm excited to be Specifically, here. I was talking about Struther Martin as the captain from Cool Hand Luke because what we've got here is failure oh. to appreciate, not communicate. We're going to do a lot of communicating today. But today, we're here to talk about our favorite About Face films of all time. What does About Face mean? A reversal of direction, a reversal of attitude, behavior, or point of view? What is an About Face and how does it apply to movies? To me, it's just drastically changing your opinion on a movie. Typically, I use the term typically for the positive, though we will be talking about some negative about faces today as well. But that's all like you. And, and this can be for whatever reason. This is why I like talking about them, because it's not like, wow, I, I watched that movie 15 years ago and it just it sucked. And now it's good. The art does not change. We change. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, I, I I like the particular one of a reversal of attitude, behavior, and point of view, <laughs> because yeah. I think that goes a little bit deeper as to like basically what we are talking about is, yes, the art doesn't change, we change. Can we, as fans of any type of art, allow ourselves to be okay with these changes, for better or worse? Yes. We have a tendency to hold on to the things that we felt. Mm -hmm. And we may not even, and I have one in particular that I held on to, and I was like, I really don't agree anymore, or I don't feel the same way, and that it can actually be okay. It, we live in crazy times right now where people really hold on to what they hold on to, and not just art, but everything. People dig their heels in on like every yes. argument about every topic and they refuse to change their opinion about anything. And yes, you're right. That that transcends, definitely transcends art. It's just like everything in the world. It's everything. And I noticed that more and more people just refuse to actually inter entertain the idea of like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't feel that way. Huh. Interesting. Maybe I can dissect that. So I think this episode is actually a really cool episode to be able to talk about movies that we can actually give personal examples as to why we feel differently now. And um, yes, most of them are positive, though. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that comes with age and wisdom and uh, just, you know, living life. Even then, that's like acknowledging that part of it. So hopefully this conversation will make all of our mad movie buffs kind of open up and be like, yeah, what movies do I actually like? Maybe I should give a second try. Yeah, it's always fun. Like for me, a few that are on my list, some are like a nagging about face where I saw it and maybe maybe it was a shrug, 
when I was done with it, or maybe it kind of disturbed me, but then it never went away. Yeah. Like it doesn't go away and it just nags at me. And that nagging can last weeks, months, years, however long I let it before I revisit the film. And then, you know, word of mouth can also influence it. Sometimes it can be like, you know, you hear that everyone is like something or everyone's appreciating it. Or for me, a personal word of mouth, like someone whose opinions I really care about and they tell me something and I go, okay, maybe I'll look at that in a different way. And then, yeah, when you look at it the other way, the negative thing, that that can be, there's so many reasons why that can happen. We get, I can have a sugar high from watching yeah. a movie and be like, oh my God, that was great. And then that just goes away. Movies can be hyped so much. Yeah. Um, the Oscars can help with that a lot. And then you come back, five years later something you're like oh my god i didn't like that or god that didn't have a lasting impact on me one of the biggest things for me is if i've seen a movie again if i've only seen like a movie once a movie that i said i loved oh my god i love this and then it's been five ten years and i'm like oh wow i never had a single interest to go back and revisit that it probably means i've had somewhat of an about face on it not like I don't usually go, I loved that movie to an about face of, I absolutely hate that movie now. That doesn't happen yeah, any often. They're never that extreme. Yeah, I very, very strongly dislike some movies that I will talk about today that I now love. That has there, happened. There, There's one in particular that I'm so excited to talk about because it was a true hatred. Oh, cool. And then a complete just, I think I adore this movie now. Yeah, I just like even recently I recommended Master and Commander in one of yeah. my what are you watchings. And that that was one where I just did for myself because saw it in 2003, the memory I had of it. I mean, I remember seeing it. I remember the movie theater I was at. I just didn't. It was like a shrug. That was a shrug. But I wasn't going around being like, yeah, that movie sucks. Whenever anyone would ask me about it, I go, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, whatever. And then because it's so beloved on the Internet and it came out. 20 years ago, I'm like, all right, let me just give it a shot. And I did and really, really liked it. I've also talked about doing that for other movies, giving them that second chance, and it just doesn't work out. And I go, no, I, I my instincts the first time were correct. So I kind of want to know, without spoiling our all-time you know, favorite about faces, what are some of the first instances or just one of a positive about face you remember? Like liking a movie that you used to not like and then realizing, oh, when did I like that? Or, okay, I like that now. I, I'm going to go with I with this example because I think it's the best one to answer this question. And I also want to get it out of the way because I've talked <laughs> about this many times. That's fine. Because um, I'm a broken record. But I think for me, that best example of that is American Psycho. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Which is a top tenor for me. Mm -hmm. And it's all just due to a complete change of perspective. I, I I think a lot of it still has to do with age too. I saw that movie when it came out in video on uh when two thousand yeah, and <laughs> I was a kid and I just I just I I didn't understand the complexity of humor really or satire in that way yeah. So I just thought this was the most disturbing fucking like <laughs> brutal and mean and misogynistic movie I've ever seen. I was like this is terrible like, yeah. like this is just awful. And then it just took a friend to just like, like, no, this is funny. Mm -hmm. what, do, what do you mean American Psycho is funny? Like, what is funny about this? And then just letting that in and letting a brand new point of view, uh, opinion, a perspective change every single thought that I had. Like, it was like every new scene of the movie was a brand new scene just by – it was almost like – seeing the world a brand new time for like 90 minutes. 
Right. I just remember even thinking, like, what else do I look at in such a rigid way that maybe actually has humor? Not just movies, but just in life. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the first one that I ever truly remember just being flat out floored by. And it's now my top 10 favorite movie. And I love that because that it's genuinely it's a conversation with a friend. And then all you do in your brain is correct the tone that that, that you have set for the movie. And you go, okay, wait a minute. I'm not watching like some serial killer thriller. I'm watching a comedy. Let's just do that. And then you do that, and then, yeah, it allows you to see the humor. It, it does. So that's, that's a great example. I've also mentioned these on the podcast before, typically on the director's podcast when we've covered these directors. The first is The Shining, without question, because, oh, I mean, yeah. Th- yeah, the first time I attempted to watch that, I was age 11, and I was just bored and turned it off. I had seen it. I'd seen Simpsons parodies of it. I'm sure parodies elsewhere. Yeah. And I thought the movie went by so damn slow. And it took me, that was probably like a year or two, like maybe Halloween when I'm like 13 with some friends. And then we put it on and I was like, oh, okay. But that movie never did leave my mind. However long it took me to revisit it. I honestly don't know exactly. It never left my mind. And that's been true of a lot of Kubrick movies though. Like the the first time you see them, you're like, Huh? And then you just, it, it's because the, the craft is so good, you just go back and back and back. But that, I was so young and just didn't get it and went, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> I, I think Stanley Kubrick is actually like a whole entire director that fits this conversation yeah. to yeah. a T because I think most of his movies do this. I felt that exact same way about The Shining. I felt that way about your favorite Eyes Wide Shut. A lot of people do. Not your a lot favorite of people still favorite. do. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, it's right there. God, I love Eyes Wide Shut. And Dr. Strangelove was the same way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't have that opinion on 2001. I was floored by that the first time I saw it. And I also felt the same way about um, A Clockwork Orange. If anything, I think A Clockwork Orange is almost the opposite. It's still, I I love that movie. But every Stanley Kubrick movie, to me, gets better with each viewing. Mm -hmm. A Clockwork Orange doesn't devalue by any means, but I don't get that brand new aging like a fine wine with that one yeah yeah i mean that is because that film like assaults us when we see yes. it at the first age and it did and that was one i probably saw 12 13 as well in fact i know yep. i did and that's just an assault and you're like whoa i've never it's seen shocking. this before yeah so shocking but yeah that was not one no one's bored watching a clock we're going no yeah <laughs> definitely <Yeah>. not <laughs> jesus I think I think Kubrick is a I, I know we talked about that on our Stanley Kubrick episode, but um, he is someone that it, you do need to kind of give those movies more of a chance to watch that craft and it, it will get better. Mm-hmm. And then another one also talked about on his director's episode, but it was Jackie Brown, which I did not see oh, in theater. Yes. Yeah, I yes. was 12 years old, didn't see in the theater, but I was already a massive Pulp Fiction fan. By this point, I've seen it like dozens and dozens of times, just rewinding the VHS over and over. Could not wait for Tarantino's next film. Rented Jackie Brown the day it was released on video. Made it about forty-five minutes. Turned it off. I and yeah. just watch and watch Pulp Fiction again because I'm you know it was not Pulp Fiction two, which is what I wanted it to be. And then that one I remember did not take me long to revisit. I remember thinking like I gotta go, like I have to f- finish it. I mean finish this is. It. Th- this is Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, like I have to finish it. And I now, of course, as we mentioned time and time again, I love its almost 
anti-Pulp Fiction stance, how it's just so loose and so cool. And Jack, yeah, Jackie Brown is right up there as my favorite Tarantino film. But And both of these obviously have to do with age. And some of them, yeah. so a lot of them that are going to make my list is just seeing these too young. But, you know, I also saw Taxi Driver when I was 10 and loved it, loved it as much then as I do now. So it, who knows why this stuff happens, but it just does, you know. But yeah, Jackie Brown was not ready for it at all. Not because it's shocking, because it's too mature. And well, I think, uh, and you also brought up a great, a great word that I think applies a lot for today too, is expectation. Yeah. We expect so many things now when new movies come out from directors that we love. We always have done that. But I think now, like, we'll actually put distaste on things because we wanted something so bad. Yeah. So it's kind of a remarkable at such a young age that even after 45 minutes of Jackie <laughs> Brown, that it didn't take you long to be like, well, I mean, what am I going to not watch it? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. some today people wouldn't. They would no, be like, oh, I, I'm no. Turn it off and yeah. walk away. Yeah. They're, yeah. And, and I don't blame them because we don't have time. We're oversaturated. If, if we don't like something quick, then. But I think Jackie Brown, I think a lot of people have that reaction to Jackie Brown because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's by far one of his most different movies and uh, not stylistically, but they're just it, it's slower. It's It's got so many different things that especially up until that point, you hadn't seen Tarantino do. I know that was my reaction to it as well. That was a yeah. huge about face for me was Jackie Brown. Uh, love it. So those are just some of the early ones. Now, well, I just want to point out that I uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, yes. your boy did some research for this pod. Okay. Oh, that's right. My beer. That's folks. Right. Let's see. Because I was like going through all of like, because this is a very personal conversation. Like yeah. the movies that we feel this way about are, are very, are going to be very, very different for other people to either agree or disagree on. But I was curious as to what the masses out there, if there is a movie that a lot of people feel this oh, type of way about. Okay. And there is one that popped up, I would say, 95% of any conversation I went in on. Maybe you can even guess what it is. No, wait. Are you talking when, like, that, that everyone liked a movie and now we hate it? Or No, everyone disliked oh. and then found a love for. Fuck, I don't know. It is also what happened um, when that movie came out, too. Tell me. It's a 1998 movie. I Oh, my God. I hope you're not going to say Life is Beautiful. <laughs> no. God. Oh, 19, uh, hold on. 98 came. Okay, wait. 98, it came, down, came out. No one liked it. Everyone, everyone found an appreciation for it. We just fucking did 1998. I know. You're going <sighs> to kick I should, yourself. I should know this off the top of my head. It's like how I didn't know the Travolta thing first. I don't know. Give it to me. The Big Lebowski. Fuck! God damn it! That's on my fucking list! I'm such an asshole! How did I not get that? I'm staring right fucking at it. It's right there. Yes, that is... It's, it's right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 1998, The Big Lebowski. Yes, my note for it real quick was that when I yep. first saw it, the humor in it is obviously like dumb, but there is also a level of, a level of sophistication to the humor that I did not understand. Wow, yes, good call. That's a great fucking call. That's a universal about face. Yes. It's a universal like it. one. No one liked yep. it. Now we all love it. Great call. Duh. It's like every Reddit hole I went down, every like list that some website had about movies I didn't like at first, all of them had the Big Lebowski. So that is, it's the universal about face movie. It is. Wow, that's a really, really good call. And I... 
I kind of have, it's not as universal, but I have a universal-ish one for the negative about, like the the objective negative where we all like to movie-ish, we all-ish like to movie now, like kind of no one likes it. Those are fun to research too, but that's a great call with Big Lebowski. That is absolutely true. Just about everyone yep. who saw that for the first time was like, huh? You're, you're welcome. Thank you. Good research. <laughs> Good research. Okay, so let's talk about these. One of the first instances you remember of a negative about face, like one, a movie that you, a movie that you used to like, and then you rewatch and you're like, God, I don't like that at all. And this is definitely happened with like movies I loved as a kid. I do not necessarily count those. I, there are no kids movies on my list because that's just, that's everyone. That's just age. Like nothing, no kids or whatever it is, whatever you attach yourself to when you're like five or six. Yeah. If you watch that when you're 35, it's not going to be as good. We're not talking about that stuff today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a given too. Like, of course, you're not going to like certain things. The universal negative about face. I'm not, I'm certainly not speaking for everyone, but. A lot of people really liked Paul Haggis's Crash when it was released in spring, summer 2005, and they were like, hey, that's okay. And I don't think anyone had an issue with that movie going on to win screenplay and being nominated for Oscars. And the second it beat Brokeback Mountain for Best Picture, it seemed like everyone just agreed to start hating that movie. And it, that is one of the most shit on movies and best picture winners of my lifetime and believe me like the love i had for that movie in 2005 i really i thought it was the most profound thing i had ever seen oh my god what an expose on racism in america and it it is not that it has it has some powerful scenes but i don't hate it as much as a lot of people do now but man people just love to hate that movie it's crazy that is true like that is a movie that like like I feel like even people who have never even seen it, yeah, yeah, they'll they'll <laughs> jump on that bandwagon and be like, "Oh yeah, Crash in two thousand four or two thousand five. Like, and it's not a bad movie, but no. yeah, like it, it's 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 one of those ones where it really did catch a lot of flack for the Oscar stuff. Yeah, you, it, I mean, you can have an embarrassment of riches, like you can you you can go you can soar to the top too quickly, and then people are like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> this is yeah." It's like Creed. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Let's move on to the actual list here, all right? We're going to move on to our favorite About Face films. We're starting with the positive ones. We're going to have a lot more positive things to say in this episode than negative, but we are, we are going to have some hot takes toward the end. That's it. This is just an open conversation. I was talking about the musical band, not the movie Creed. Okay, I it missed me. I thought I was like I I don't really get it. So the band Creed did did ascend very fast, and now and and everyone hated them. Everyone <laughs> yeah. everyone talks so much shit about Nickelback. Nickelback same yeah, thing. Yeah, it can it can yeah. happen in art it, where you just it, get yep. so much acclaim, and then people as a culture we all kind of look back and go, "What the fuck were we thinking? Like, what was that? <laughs> Why did we all love that?" And again, like I don't, I'm not hating on. Uh, crash like that at all like i, I no, do no, think yeah, there's yeah. some decent moments in it but i do get a kick out of how many people detest that movie especially online yeah good thank you for clarifying that helped me a lot now I can, you're welcome now the world can go back to spinning um mm. all right favorite about face films positive open conversation we're just going to go back and forth i did split mine up into a few sections first i have what i call the classic about face Maybe you grew up and like your parents loved one or two movies and then by proxy, you had to love them. So growing up, Uh, it was cemented in me that 
It's a Wonderful Life is one of the best movies ever made. It has always been in my dad's top five of all time. And it's, you know, it went on at Christmas. Not like sit down and watch this, but it was just always on. It was always there. And because of this, I suppose a deep seated resentment toward that film (laughs) brewed within me to where in my early 20s, I was actively saying that I hated the movie and that I thought it was too corny and, you know, Capricorn and all this stuff and all that nonsense. And, kind of not even appreciating the film for what it is, more mad at the reputation that that the film has, that this is the number one movie to watch at Christmas, and if you don't like it, then you suck. Yeah. And now it's just, I mean, you know, surprise, surprise, the movie's an absolute classic, and I love it, and I just got finished re-watching it right before we recorded. Um, Because I was not, like, a diehard fan of it so young, a lot of the lore of the film has missed me. So I had no idea that in the 80s there was a colorized version that was made uh, behind Frank Capper's back without his permission of any kind. And that's on Amazon as well. They have both. Amazon makes it look like the color one is the original because it just says it's a wonderful life. Then the black and white version has parentheses, black and white version. I'm like, this movie was shot in black and white. Like, that's not the version. Like, that's the original version. So, yeah, that, that was, that was weird. Don't watch in a color, people. That, it looks stupid. Don't, don't do that. Watching a black and white, tremendously moving film. Yeah, as I got older, I went, wow, this, this has a lot to say about, uh, life and how we view ourselves and our worth as a person. It's a great film. Duh. You want to know something? Never seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, I've never seen it. Fucking shocker. Fucking shocker. Yep. But stunned to hear that. I think there's a, 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 the reason is you just, you made me think of something that I never really maybe realized about myself. I don't like Christmas movies like at all. Well, so here's the thing, man. This is the thing. I think I've associated it. People think it's a Christmas movie. There are Christmas themes in it. And a lot of people, myself included. And I've been talking a lot with friend of the pod, Dan, about this because Dan loves this movie. Dan weeps every time he watches this movie. And that's a huge thing to say about friend of the pod, he Dan. He weeps? Weeps. He used that word? I, you want, I'll look it up right fucking now. <laughs> I, uh, fuck. I cry at the end of that movie every time. I cry during most of that movie. It's crazy how it's only remembered for the last half hour. That was my next point. So not weep. All okay, right. he cried. Whatever. Thank you. I've seen him calling me out. (laughs) Okay, so have I. He loves it. He cries in it. And yeah, a lot of people associate it as a Christmas movie. And a lot of people think that the last half hour is the entire movie. And it's just not. It's 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 a really, really interesting concept. Like if you're looking, what if you just decide one day, like nothing in your based on your perspective and life's kicked you down so much that you're like, what if I was just never here? What if I never existed? And then an angel makes that possible for you. So then you get to view your life as if you never existed and how you think that may be of benefit to everyone in your life because you probably have depression. And then you see how that damaged people with you not being around. Great message. It's a great film. You should see it. I've always known the structure of the movie. I've always known everything about it. It seems like it would be no, a movie that I would like. But what I'm saying, that's just the last half hour. What I just described is just the last half hour. There's a whole, there's an hour and a half before that that does not have anything to do with like angels or he's not interacting with angels or anything like that. You just see a dude getting like doing right by other people and as a result getting shit on his whole life because of it so for 90 minutes you see this guy go through life just get kind of shit on but always because shit on might be too strong but just he just gets beaten down by life by life yeah because he did the right thing for other people 
he's the first brother, but because he decides to stay in town, his younger brother gets to go off to college. But if he's not around, then the younger brother has to stay in town. You see what I mean? So it's all about yeah, I'm, just cause and effect. It's great. I'm already getting a little, a little, a weepy? little we- weepy. Weepy? Yeah. Um, I love that word. I love that word. Um, no, I, I'm actually getting quite emotional even thinking about that. I, I think I'll, I think I would like that movie a lot. I, you talk about the life live stuff that, that is what yeah, it's no, about, that's, but that's just my keep, thing. and then also what I did not put into context when I was younger is that, you know, this was made in 46. This was right after the war, which severely messed up Capra, Jimmy Stewart. It messed up everyone. So this is living in, it just lives in the, in the wake of that hell that people must, the fatigue of war, the fog of war that people must've been feeling then. It's a good movie. All right, all right. So I'll I'll go I'll go personal on this one. This is actually my favorite one. It's the one I I was referencing earlier. Okay, okay. Ironically enough, it's a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, all right. And I'm talking about 2013's Inside Lewin Davis. Wow, I did not like this movie when I saw it the first time. No, you didn't either. I didn't know. See, this this is great, dude. I didn't like it either. I saw it with my dad, and I think he liked it, but I was like. What the fuck was that? I didn't get the narrative. I didn't I didn't know he was going to be such an asshole. Oh, dude, uh, tell us about this like uh, evolution you've had with it. So I, I remember specifically it was five years. I saw it in 2013 mm-hmm. and then I saw it in 2018. When I saw it in 2013, I checked out of the movie when he left the cat. Mm-hmm. I, this doesn't ruin anything. No, that's fine. I, I just couldn't understand and I love Os- uh, Oscar Isaac. I like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not the acting I didn't like. It, it was the story. It was what his character was doing. And I was so bothered by every action and every every bit of behavior that he had. And I'm not someone that watches movies that needs to have a likable character. Yeah, like at same. all. I actually appreciate when they're not likable. But this one was egregious. This one was out of, out of control. He's such an asshole that it's alienating. It's like, why do I want to watch this person for any length of time? Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't really getting too much of the humor. I wasn't really picking up on anything that this movie was doing. And so I had a very, very strong stance of fuck that movie. (laughs) I don't know what happened, but between my years of 2013 and 2018, I I rewatched it. And I what I what I had recognized about myself and this is I, and this is putting a lot of like I'm not I'm not saying this is as meanly as it actually is. I identified with that movie in a very very specific way because there is a selfishness that an artist has that I think that they kind of have to have mm-hmm. about everything and I think that's to me what that character is. He the only thing that mattered to him was his art and it didn't matter who he uh, used uh, who was or wasn't there. It was all in an effort to please his idea of what something should be. And I think maybe in 2013, I had done that. And I didn't really want to take a look at myself and kind of look at some of those aspects that I actually have. And in 2018, I could. And mm-hmm. then... I sympathized with him. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what's sudden, funny. <laughs> yep. And now I'm like, yeah, maybe that's not exactly what I would have done, but I get it. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> and then his plight that he was on, I'm like, yeah, totally. So some, so I think the, uh, 
living the life of an actor and doing things and and trying to get art off the ground and trying to kind of navigate this crazy ass industry or whatever took its toll in the way of five years that in, I now appreciate inside Lewin Davis a lot. Have you seen it since? Because it's now it's been another five years. Um, I haven't seen it in five years, but I do think I watched it at some point during um, 2020. I think that's my exact evolution with it as well. I, I I saw it in the theater and was not very impressed, though. Thought every performance was good or every performance was great. Thought the music was catchy. Thought it was shot well. I'm like, what what's missing here? Yeah, it was just like yeah. the story. The revolving narrative still confuses me how it like starts and, and then goes circles back. So it starts where it ends or something. It's a very big swing movie, but without uh, being flashy. It just uh, it takes a lot of like risks. So, yeah, that was one I completely had a whole evolution with as well. And maybe I don't yep. think we've ever really talked about that. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's it's become it's become an, uh, an artistic partner in a lot of ways. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. My next category. These are two I've also mentioned on the podcast before. One more in depth. But these are my haunting about faces. And I have two of them. This is where I watched them and actively or not, I rejected them. And I went, that was too disturbing and disturbing for whatever reason, but it was too disturbing. And I was just convinced that I didn't really like them. And then they never went away. And now they're some of my favorite movies of all time. The first one is The Deer Hunter, which was the most disturbing movie I had ever seen. I saw it when I was 10 years old. Thanks, mom and dad, and had no idea like what that that was what was going to happen. And it, you know, talk about an assault, talk about how shocking it was. But I was just so disturbed by how much everyone meant to each other. And, you know, we did a whole podcast about that. So we talked about it. And I talked about my evolution and my about face that I had with that movie and how within two years it was just in my top five. And it's no, it really hasn't left my top 10 since I first yeah. saw it. Once I came back to it and realized how incredibly disturbed I was and how that could be a good thing. Not every movie has to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows. In some movies, the the intention could be to disturb and just to show a real human story. So yeah, that. And then the other one I have here is, I've again, talked about it before, but it is Gavin O'Connor's Warrior from 2011, which oh, was, yeah. uh, which I saw the week it came out. And, uh, you know, I think I even wrote a review of it on my blog and gave it like a B. And so that's not like by no means hating it. Just, yeah, okay, a B and had no reverence toward it, no real nothing. And then would not go away for months and months that the entire run of that movie being in theaters, it never left my head. And I remember its last day in the cinema. I remember clocking that in the Thursday that it was going to be you know, the last showing because Friday new movies come in. And I went to that viewing and just wept. There it is. Wept. Wept. Most of the time and realized how how much I had rejected the movie because I felt so assaulted by the personal things in it, by the brother relationship, by the very tense family dynamics of the movie, by the alcoholism in the movie, which I think is, I mean, what Nick Nolte does with it is really volcanic and kind of a remarkable so yeah that's one i mean you know warrior was wow it just it really really messed me up and then once i locked into how much i loved it the movie kind of changed my life and has been one of the life-defining movies for me and it i i can't even go into all the ways that that movie changed me and how it influenced so much of what i wrote after how it so influenced my first feature film wait oh my god yeah huge movie to me 
I I don't I it's 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 well I I because I know how much that movie means to you. I don't think I ever knew that you didn't really have a a strong opinion of it the first time. So I saw it and I I didn't realize this in the moment. I've realized this with years of introspection and even some therapy, like specifically talking about this movie. It just reminded me too much of my brother and my relationship with my brother. And we were I used to box not on like the level that they are performing MMA, nothing like that. And my brother was not a MMA has never been part of our family, nothing ever like that. But there was there was substance abuse issues with him and there was uh, a lot of mental health issues. And we had an extremely combative relationship for our entire lives. And in 2011, I was at a place where I had zero active empathy for him. I mean, virtually none. We were not on speaking terms at, at all. It wasn't it wasn't something where we, we would like see each other and argue all the time that we just didn't speak or see each other ever. And that movie allowed me to have a little empathy for him, which I, you know, never shared with him. And that's, you know, that's my own cross to bear. And that's the way that I wanted it. But it allowed me to understand him a little better. And no one in Warrior has like severe mental illness. No one has schizophrenia like my brother did. Like it, that's not the, it's just it's not because the movie was shining a mirror on me. The movie forced me to look at myself in a way I was refusing to. Yeah, I didn't. That wow, I didn't really know I was going to word it like that, but that's exactly what the movie did. And it was so it was just so assaulting. And I I just like kind of rejected it. And now I I mean, yeah, you talk about weeping, like all joking aside, I cannot put that movie on without um getting ext- extremely emotional at the end. I had I had heard of the band The National, but I never heard them. To tell you how much I fell in love with them because um an extended version of about today plays over the final fight in the movie. It, it changed my life. Just hearing that I, I structured the entirety of the weight screenplay around that final fight in warrior. It's weird. I did this whole like little dance with it and yeah, it, it very, very profound movie on me for me. Gavin O'Connor can do this the way back. Remember the way back in 2020, that was the last oh, movie dude. I saw before covid and then that movie just got so royally screwed by covid no movie more that has ben yeah. affleck if not his best work because we do love him in gone girl big fans of ben affleck and gone girl but his performance in the way back is one of the best portrayals of an alcoholic that i've ever seen the the fucking the routine of the beers in the fridge i get chills talking about this one in the freezer and then you, that's the one you drink next and then you take one from the fridge put it the freezer you're drink. i mean Oh my God. And you texted me like we're deep into COVID and you're like, what do you think of the way back? And I remember texting you back saying, I have almost no recollection of that movie because it was the last movie I saw before COVID. And then because of your yeah. text, I went, re- I went back and rewatched it on Hulu and fucking wept like the whole time. Yeah. Went, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this movie is great. So yeah, Warrior way back, but Warrior, um, yeah, one of the most important movies to me personally. I've never not never rarely has a film forced me to examine myself and examine some really difficult things within myself some stubbornness some lack of empathy some closed offness all that stuff and then yeah i don't know if this stuff's important to bring up but it you know my brother died in 2016 he died by suicide and that i have this movie as a blanket as a nice warm blanket which it is It, it is not upsetting for me to watch it's you know and my brother never knew about my love for this movie and how it connected, how I had formed a connection with the movie with him. I, we never got to talk about that, but that's, you know, 
it's all good. Everything's all good. I love that film. I'm going to watch it real, real soon. Let me tell you. Well, I can't follow that one. Yeah, you can. Um, it's all good. Bring, bring the try. humor back. Uh, well, no, because I was going to go even deeper. Oh, go deep. <laughs> go deep. Deeper well, than Moby well, Dick? And, deep. No, that's what he's listening <laughs> to. That's what Nick Nolte listens to throughout that whole movie. Uh, oh, I love right. it. The audiobook. Stop the ship. Oh, man, he's great. He's great, Nolte. All right. No, th- this is a this is a movie that I uh, I never wanted to rewatch again because I disliked it so much, Ooh. and it's because of you. <laughs> <It's all laughs> that you disliked you. it, or that you went and rewatched it. <laughs> well, so I so when we first met, and you were and you were introducing me to a new level of cinema that I had never known. You know, I, and I, we talked about this on this particular episode, but um, there's one particular movie by Ingmar Bergman that I just. Oh, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> and and that was Cries and yes, Whispers. Oh, Cries and Whispers. And, like, Talk about another warm blanket of the movie for Alex Withrow. Oh, God. Oh, I love it. Oh, God. Oh, movie. What an God. assault. I mean, it was just like like the first time watching it, I was just like, oh, <laughs> Jesus Fuck, what am I like? How are we supposed like this is just bad thing after bad thing after <laughs> bad thing. True. And and it's it's it I just never wanted to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I don't even think I appreciated it. I don't I think I just like came out of that movie and I was like, Yeah, man, thanks for showing me that. Um I never want to go through anything like that ever again. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a tough movie. And then we got ready for our our huge and still one of my to this day favorite because Ingmar Bergman is um, top two favorite director. The Ingmar Bergman podcast on What Are You Watching is our second highest podcast ever. That is insane. I've mentioned that on the pod without you. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Still going, still growing in numbers. Thank you. Yes, thank Thank you, everyone. You people. (laughs) Getting ready, and I'm like, "Fuck, I gotta watch this again. Yeah, I yeah. gotta do it because I, 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 and I knew it's still in your top ten favorite of all time. Maybe because I was already in the world of Ingmar Bergman, that probably helped. But we are talking about, I would say, more than five years of a break because you probably showed me that movie in 2015 or 16. Yeah, and then I hadn't watched it again until 21, 22, whenever we did it last year. Man. Is that movie so good? And I just like, yeah, maybe because I went into it with a little bit of a guard up, like knowing full well, okay, I'm about to watch something that's going to be really emotionally painful. I found that it wasn't. I just sort of kind of was like, oh, sure, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like there are some things that are still like when they happen, like they, it's a guttural, like, I mean, my God, like, like it, it takes your breath away in a very, very heavy way, but I also was seeing for the first time the 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 humanity. Humanity, it. just the word I was going to use. Yep. Yes, yes. I took it away from me. Mm-hmm. And this is crazy to think about it this way because this is what, we're, what we do as people is we internalize everything. This time I was like, maybe I can actually remove myself from this and not worry about what I'm thinking, but actually think about the people in an empathetic way. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know, I, I th- that just changed everything. And now I'm looking at this movie and I'm like, oh my God, this is great. To the point where I'm laughing <laughs> at certain parts. Oh yeah, I mean, he. well, we talked about that a lot in that episode. He's yeah, probably yeah. our favorite screenwriter because he can just yep. cut and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Like you just, he just cuts right in there with something that can be, yep. sometimes it can be so shocking that it's funny. You're like, oh my God, yeah. like what? You like, say that or you use glass that way? Like, oh my oh, God. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, mean, that's not funny. Come on, I'm not saying. No, that's, that's not funny. funny. That but, part's not yeah. funny. But yes, I totally. But it is. I totally get what you mean. It's. It was sh- like that glass part, mm-hmm. and it was so shocked. Like the first time <sighs> I remember seeing that particular scene when that happened. <sighs> I, 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 I was like, "Fuck that! No, no, yeah. absolutely not! Like I'm not. No, 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 no." The second time I watched it, I think I'd forgot that it happened. Mm-hmm. I think I had blocked it. Yeah. But my reaction towards it then became like, oh, in a way where it's, I don't know. I'm not saying it was good. It's not. It it was just something where the movie. um, Well, it's it's good for the character in the movie. She's smiling as she does it. She's doing it with intention. So if you can put yourself outside of it and just put yourself in the headspace of the character, you go. Oh, that's fucked up. Not like, nope, nope, can't watch it. Nope, can't do it. You're more yep. like, oh, that's so fucked up, which is exactly yep. what you're supposed to be thinking. So it, it it sort of kind of begs the question is sometimes when I'm just thinking of this right now is like when we're watching a movie, where is the line where we internalize something and put it on us? Because that's important to do a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you, your experience with Warrior, yeah, perfect exactly. example. Exactly. And And then when do we take ourselves out of that equation and observe the humanity of what we're seeing through an observational lens as opposed to um, an internal one. And I wonder how many times I possibly may have done that through a lot of movies where maybe I should have flipped the the cap and watched it from a different way as opposed to trying to internalize it or whatnot. Well, when your Christmas gift arrives, you can put on Gaspar and Away's Vortex anytime you want. Oh, you <laughs> shut the fuck up with, oh my God. I swear to fuck. Oh, I, oh, oh no. Oh, that is a hard no. Bullshit. This is exactly oh. what you're talking about. It's okay, yes, you're right. But, but no. I'm not sending no. it to you for Christmas. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I will I would burn it. I will <laughs> burn it. <laughs> Uh, that'd be great. Uh, oh, fuck. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. That That's a great example of exactly what I was saying. And <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not it, ready yeah, for it hasn't Vortex. Been, it hasn't been five years. It needs, you know, it needs time helps a lot. But I think in terms of that, like uh, that assault we're talking about, that shock, <sighs> that shock of it, Cries and Whispers has some shocking stuff. Yeah, my closest to that is Deer Hunter and Warrior. Definitely just in terms of yeah. the, how much they, whoa. And then I needed to go, I knew I needed to go back to them. So I'm glad that this pod made you, or, you know, motivated you to revisit it because it's, it's a, even at 90 minutes, it cries and whispers is not something that should be watched once. It needs to be watched, in my opinion, studied, but, you know, just give it at least two watches and just look at the colors, the colors. <laughs> and, and, and there might be something too, also. I wonder if that's a movie where, because you can warn somebody all you want about it. Yeah. I think it yeah. does need to come with a warning. 
in some degree. Like if someone's going to be like, oh, you're going to watch tonight, cries and whispers. Oh, okay. You, uh, you've seen it before? <laughs> you know what you're getting into, really? Trigger warning. This movie is 90 minutes long and will ruin your next 90 days. No, I will ruin you. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, that's what he's good for. I mean, what can we say? Like that's, you know, you know what you get from him. You know, from Bergman, oh, yep. from our great Gaspar. Yep. We, we know what we get from these folks. Oh my God. All right, my next category. Oh, no, I was going to say, are we going to lighten it up? Are we going to switch the load? Yes, actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. We're going to talk about dying. Is that, is that lighten oh, it up a little that, bit? I no. Mean, I, not really. <laughs> no, no. Okay. This is my section where I call the getting older and wiser about face. And this is strictly like, oh, you have it too? But yeah. you're just following my whole entire pattern right here without, you know. Here we go. Let's do it. And this means specifically these movies are somewhat about aging but really about like life or masculinity uh specifically Ooh. and me not understanding not being in the right place for that so the first is schenectady new york which oh i just did not get at all when i first saw it i was like what is this what's going on i can appreciate the scope of it i didn't know what it was about i didn't know what was going on i just didn't get it and then if I'm not mistaken, saw in the theater, 2008, and if I'm not mistaken, that became Roger Ebert's favorite film of the decade, I believe. Yep. He released that list probably in 2010, and that made me go and revisit it, and it still was like, okay, I kind of get it. So he, so Ebert was like writing about it a lot, not just his review. He had like his blog, and I was, I was following right along and like trying to get it and trying to investigate and then when it clicked, like, this is just about a guy dying, like, this is about a guy's life. And, you know, it, you can walk away with whatever interpretation you want, but I, I was gaining an appreciation with each viewing. And, you know, I may be revisiting it once a year. And then he died. Philip Seymour Hoffman died. Mm -hmm. And that tragically made, it really made this movie, I, it made me get it more. And I went, oh, I've had such an evolution with that film from first time I saw it to its star tragically dying to me really, really appreciating it. I think that's a movie that uh, I, I I can't even really, because the first time I saw it is the only time that I saw it. Oh, wow, man. Yeah, I probably have four or five viewings under my belt. Because that that is one that I, even the first viewing I watched it and I go, all right, this is not a movie that I, I can accurately give an opinion on until I see it at least one more time. Did you just see it for the... For our Hoffman pod, yeah. So, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Because that oh, was like I the remember one you saying that. Yeah, yep. that's right. That's right. Okay. And uh, I, I liked it, mm -hmm. but there was just so much more there <sighs> that, yeah. like, I you can't grasp. And and I think it probably didn't want to either. Mm -hmm. I think I probably didn't want to talk or deal with some of that stuff because that is one where I probably would. I think I did internalize that one. Fair. Um, but I've always wanted to go back and watch that again. Um, this is a complete side quest, but uh, what did you think of Bo is Afraid? Wow, yeah, this is, I need to watch, did you see it? No, but I really want to. I need to, I'm going to rewatch it before our top 10 of 2023 episode, which will yeah. likely come out in the end of January. I do not think it'll make my list, but I do think I, it will get an honorable mention because that is one, I think that is a an absolutely perfect comp. For Schenectady, New York. I'm not saying they're exactly the same. Bo's Afraid goes places that Schenectady, New York would never uh, dream of. Bo's Afraid has some shit in it that I've never seen in a movie. And that I, my jaw was just 
dropped going, oh, uh, oh, wow, but only saw it once. And my yeah. feelings for it were very similar to this Schenectady, New York feelings where I went, okay, I no one can watch Bo is Afraid the first time and quote unquote get it all. You just can't. It, there's way too much in it. But I got the intention of it. I got what he was going for uh, without having to read his quote of him calling it a Jewish anxiety movie. That's what Ari Aster referred to it as. That's how it played for me. And I was like, okay, I get this. A lot, a lot of mother-son stuff, lot. So yeah, liked it, but hard to grasp like a concrete opinion. It's very big. It is supremely fucking strange. It's one of those ones that just gets stranger and stranger and stranger. And it's three hours long. So it's, you know, it's a it's a long three hours, but it's weirder than shit. I'd be interested to hear your hear your thoughts. Like it, I, I don't know. I, I am going to revisit it. I'll put it that way. I've been waiting for it to come on streaming for like free. I don't think it's going to. So I'm prepared. I'm prepared to do the whatever, $5.99, $6.99 to watch it. But uh, I'm prepared. Yeah, it's weirder than shit. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I've been saving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, good, good movie. Different. I like that people like Ari Aster exist and people are giving him money to make movies because there's no one making movies like that guy does. So that's great. Whether I love all of his movies whatever it, that doesn't really matter i'm so glad that guy is as young as he is making the types of movies he is hell yeah all right give us an about face all right so i guess it's kind of keep going with yours yes um it, it, with uh some things that i probably and i we just talked about this on our martin scorsese episode the first time i saw raging bull mm. i just didn't i couldn't like yeah. i I, yeah. I didn't i didn't i didn't understand what i was watching i was appreciating it but it was one of those ones where it's like, oh, man, this is just uh, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's just tough. There's a lot of people who love Scorsese, love them. A lot of really famous podcasters whose podcasts I listen to, and they don't like that movie. And Scorsese, they'd probably say, is their th- first, second, or third favorite director. And it, that movie's just too much for them. Like, it is a lot to watch Robert De Niro as Jake LaMotta just punch his wife in the face just punch her yeah kathy mayorty i mean he just decks her and lays her out and there's a lot of uh disturbing stuff in that movie it's a, and then the next scene we see them she takes him back like she's packing up and then takes him back and it's like this is the this is the way their world went it's a supremely disturbing film i completely it, it understand completely understand I saw it when I was a kid same and i was just like i i, I just don't think like as a kid you can really get it it, it is. It's just too tough mm-hmm. in that way. I think. And then I had seen it the, again when I was in college and then appreciated it a lot more. But it wasn't until this last time for the Scorsese pod where I rewatched it, where I got everything. OK. And I and I was like, oh, my God, this is just it's the ultimate like um, this is the, the what violence and like toxic masculinity. It's just a complete exploration in that. Mm hmm. And then I think I even said this on the pod. I think that is my favorite shot movie I've ever seen. It's fucking gorgeous. It's just it, phenomenal. It's gorgeous. Um, but that I so it, it's weird because I never disliked it. But it was one that even as a kid, I remember watching it and just being like, I don't dislike it, but I don't get it. Yeah. And I, and it's a, it's it's a lot. Then I would watch it again, and I was like, I still like it, but I don't get it. But you would hear, Raging Bull is one of the best things ever. This 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 and this. Best edited movie of all time, according to like the editors guild. Yeah. 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 Like it's got all these accolades. And then so now coming around to it at 37. Yeah, I get it. And now I am. It's just it's uh, I forgot where I placed it. 
on my Scorsese mm, list. I did too. But I know it's 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 in, it was in the top five, and um, yeah. So I guess it's a weird about face where it was just I needed time and age and and everything to kind of mature into being able to embrace what that movie was trying to do, and it's not for everybody. No, of it's, course it, not. It, I totally it, get it. It certainly isn't. I think maybe even as a younger person, I was like, there's like there's something about this that I get, but I don't get now. Of course, I need I need time, and then eventually it's like, okay, I get it. Not every movie we're talking about today are movies that we absolutely detested and then grew to love. It's not that extreme, but it's, yeah, that, I mean, my next one is Moneyball. And that is the exact, Moneyball's not an assault, Moneyball's not tough, but it was one where I saw it. And I'm like, I, yeah, I, I, I like that. That was good. Like, that. that's a good movie. I immediately. You were lukewarm? Lukewarm on Moneyball, probably because I immediately, oh. after Moneyball, within uh, 45 seconds was in a screening of Drive and saw that for the first time. So that just like they opened the same weekend. So that like completely blew it out. But again, liked Moneyball. It just wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be a baseball movie, like some thrilling baseball movie. And baseball is not a big part of that movie at all. It's just it's much more about Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean. And then that movie not leaving my head and nagging and nagging me, gaining on me and gaining on me. Gaining and now it's like, I'm just looking at the Blu-ray. Like, that's one I love to put that movie on. I, <laughs> oh man, his, the way that he expresses his frustration has been so me at different points in my <laughs> life or maybe specific points. You're in an empty parking lot. I've never done this, but being the desire to be like in an empty parking lot and just pedal to the metal, you're in a truck and you just gun it and then you break really hard. Then you just gun it and you break. You're you're achieving absolutely nothing. It's just frustrating. Being so fucking pissed that something isn't going your way and just turning a radio on for five seconds. Still not going my way. Off. On. Off. The way that he carries himself is so akin to being i'm not trying to make a sweeping universal statement but it's just <laughs> it's so telling for a certain type of man i suppose and i completely got it i'm not like that all the time i'm not saying there's a time in my life where that's how i responded to everything but i just get it i've never been a big like screamer in conflict i'm not really like that i can keep it very stewed kind of inside. You've seen me even on movie sets when things were not going our way because like logistics, and I <laughs> will sit here and just stew and like pace and be like, all right, how, what are we going to have to do here? This could get bad. What's going to need to happen? And yeah, I just get it now. I love that movie. I, I love Moneyball. I love that movie. And I'm just talking about one specific aspect, but I love everything about it. I love how fast the editing is going. I love the dialogue and stuff. That is not a, a drastic about face that I had, but it, it, it's a cool one for me to talk about because I was very lukewarm on it. It maybe made my top 10 of the year. I think it did, but now it would be like in the top. We talked about that in our favorite movies of 2011 episode. Like that would be way up there for me now in a year of really, really good movies. Moneyball rocks. All right, that's cool. We so we we both had ones that we were like lukewarm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and because never like because we were talking about ones we just did not like, yeah, and then grew to like them. So now we're moving up in temperature, moving up in temp. Well, my yeah, and my next one, my next category is called "Damn, this guy is good about face," where you just can't deny it. Where you're like, "Damn, this guy's good." And what I mean by that is, winter 1997. There was this tiny movie coming out that everyone had been talking about for a while. It was called Titanic. And you would like kind of heard some things about it. 
And then this became the number one thing and it swept. It was mono culture to the max. And I, I know you didn't have this relationship with it, but I fucking hated Titanic. I hated James Cameron. I hated this in 1997. I, I, I was one of those people. I hated Leonardo DiCaprio. I went to that movie and suffered through it. I didn't like anything of it. I was a hater. I was a 12 year old hater. I didn't want me. Yeah. I didn't want to see any of it. I hated James Cameron. I hated all of his movies. I hated what he stood for. I knew that he (laughs) made T2 and I like, like that, but I was like, I hate this guy. I've been hearing about this movie for like, it feels like half my fucking childhood. It's going to win every Oscar. It did win every Oscar. This, I hate this movie. This movie sucks. And then I put on a movie called The Abyss. And I had never seen The Abyss. And my first viewing, sitting there in Titanic fever mania, I was sitting there watching The Abyss and going, damn, this guy is good. <laughs> and I really, really like this movie. So this is a bit of a cheat because it was my first time watching The Abyss that made me realize that James Cameron is James Cameron and that Titanic while I'm a 12 year old, not really into like sweeping romances is a phenomenal achievement. And every movie he's made is a masterpiece. And it was the abyss that really clicked that in for me. And what was so cool, so cool is that they just released this in the theaters for a night and I went and got to see it and it was fucking amazing. You know, the 4k is Supposed to be coming out in March. This, this is a movie that's never been available on Blu-ray. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. He's doing Titanic 4K came out. He's apparently doing True Lies, Aliens. Oh, uh, we were just Abyss. talking about this. I know. I know. It's it's supposed to be happening in March, so we'll see. Yeah, The Abyss was a huge game changer for me in opening up an entire director's body of work. It, yeah. And it's still my favorite Cameron. It is. I love The Abyss. I love that movie. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Director's Cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's what he. No, 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 no. That's and that's. Oh, my God. What a huge like thing to talk about, because the theatrical cut, like why they made him cut it down. It just sucks. The director's cut is really encapsulates the entire vision of what he was trying to say with the wave and with all that stuff. Like, it's very, very important to if you're watching this movie to watch the director's cut. And that's what he's remastering in 4K. And that's what I saw in the theater. And it was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've wanted to do, you know, we talked about that around Avatar The Way of Water. Do we do a Cameron pod? Do we just talk about Avatar? And we did talk about Cameron a lot, but at some point we'll have to do, I don't know, just a whole pod on him. But yeah, I, God, I love The Abyss. I, everything. I love Ed Harrison and Michael Bean. God, Bean's great. Oh, They're all great. Bean is so good. Bean's fucking so great. Good. Uh, so yeah, I just want to talk about how that got me to explore an entire director's body of work. And understand how ridiculous I was being because I was mad at Titanic. I was much more of like an LA Confidential, Goodwill Hunting guy. The movies that had like no chance of winning yeah, you know, yeah. the big award. I was on that team. I, I used to get really, really, I used to really, really care about the Oscars. Like I would argue for like 20 minutes about the visual effects Oscar. I would never do that today. Never. Yeah, no, it's you, just you, not you worth really lost that steam. That yeah. passion really just seems to have really died out. Morons. <laughs> Fucking idiots. <laughs> All right, what's one from you? I got two right here Perfect. that um that uh I, I link these two together. Actually, there's three really, but um I'm gonna talk about two specifically where I think it was just a matter of being young and just not recognizing that I was watching a really fucking good movie. Mm-hmm. And th- uh th- this is the one that's like my number one. Like I when I rewatch this, I go, this thing is fucking great. I, I was just too young. 
And that's the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, cool. I didn't know this. Because yep. we've talked about this. We did favorite movies in 1999, which I believe is episode 10, 11-ish. And then yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman. So, okay, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. When I first watched it, it was when it came out in 1999. Yep. And I was just sort of like, what is this movie? <laughs> is this one of those gay movies? <laughs> like, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> you know? And as a kid, you're like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wasn't picking up on anything that the movie was about. I think I watched it because I was probably trying to get into movies. And I was like, oh, I heard this is like a really good movie and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I was a kid and I just did not get it. And then when we watched it for the 1999 episode, I was like, this thing is just the best Oh, movie. my God. Oh, it's got everything. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's got suspense. It's thrilling. Every, it's meticulous. Oh, yes. From like a precision standpoint. So well taken care of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the every little bit of his mistakes and his um, achievements throughout the whole entire thing are so well done that when even the slightest little subtlety of another character's look or or an idea of coming from a different direction affects Matt Damon's character, it, it, it it's so like it's it's hypersensitive. You're like, oh my God. Oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. And as the movie builds, it just I'm like, this movie's incredible. Very good. I love this. Great. Yeah. I didn't know about any of this. Yeah. yeah. I mean that Talents of Mr. Ripley at that age, like there's a lot of good text in the movie when we're it's just like stuff on the surface, but that whole movie's subtext and yeah. you can't like pick it up. You don't know what all the glances mean and all all this stuff. But yeah, you I wasn't really able to locate the humor in it necessarily in 99, but now you know, Tommy, 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 Tommy. It's like, oh, yeah, Tommy, we Tommy, think Tommy, that Tommy, movie's Tommy. hysterical. And I mean, it's crazy when a director makes because. Anthony Mangella's movie right before that, The English Patient, is like, that's his Oscar movie. He wins picture, yeah. director. And then I think a lot of people are like, you know, talented Mr. Ripley's better. It's just this weird kind of little <laughs> thing. And Tom Ripley, as my movie fandom, just and with every passing year, it's like I find a new Tom Ripley movie. And there, there's so many adaptations of these novels. And it's really great. It's a fun character to explore if you like the character. A lot of people have done it. That's great, though. I had no idea that like it that revealed itself to you in such a different way. Oh, what's another one though? Because you had like two or three there. So the other one was the exact same type of thing where I was like, I think this movie's too mature for where I'm at, and I just can't really grasp onto the nuance of it. And that's a movie that we did talk about um, in our 1982 mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. and that's the verdict. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Had you seen the verdict when we recorded that episode? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what okay, made, that's what okay. that's what turned me all around. I got you. I got you. Being such a Paul Newman fan as a kid and watching all of these older movies and see top three favorite actor, we like someone was like, "Oh, you got to see the verdict." And I watched the verdict, and I was like, "This movie's slow. Mm-hmm, like, what mm-hmm. am I like watching?" It ends up being one of my favorite Paul Newman performances ever because it's probably his most, I don't know if I'm, I use the word subdued, but it's his most like, he, it's, Paul Newman is such an entertaining guy mm-hmm. in like all of his performances. Like, like he's, he is that extrovert, outgoing, that, that charisma. Oh yeah. It's just, it leaps off the screen. 
this is the one where he just bottles it all up. Literally. And, and <laughs> yeah, literally. It, it's almost like what ends up pouring out is the 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 best part of it. And and I I love this movie now. Oh, Absolutely awesome. love, love, love this movie so much. And it was just a time where I was like, I just I don't get this. It's slow. It's you know, and I think that's probably a thing now where I wonder how this movie would do for someone who hasn't seen it just because of attention spans today. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, sure. Can we really sit with like a lawyer type movie where there's not a lot of action or mm -hmm. uh, this or that? It's all really in the slow burn of this guy and what he decides to do. That's the thing. It's about a guy. It's not about a case. And a lot of yeah. really good... Courtroom movies are about the case. We're invested in the case. And the case is important, but it's more like everyone's asking, "What? why do you give a shit about this case? This was supposed to be easy. You're just supposed to like plead this out. Like this is an easy thing. But, you know, he's this, he's, yeah, he's a completely subdued, like just down on his life alcoholic. He's yeah. a bad alcoholic, like getting to the bar before work. They got eggs on the bar, raw eggs that you can just pour into a beer. And that's how they're starting their day. Like he's so far gone. And, that's just him. Like, he's great in the movie. But then you have James Mason, who's such a snake. And, like, Jack Warren's great. Charlotte Rampling's great. Got to break your heart a little bit. Do you know who wrote this movie? Do you know who wrote it? Oh, I... Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Fuck, 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 oh, fuck, God. fuck. Yes, I do. Because it's so... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, your, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Your least favorites. The great David Mamet. Yeah, I know. Fucking Mamet. The great David yes. Mamet. Yeah, the guy who you used to not like, and now you're having an about face in real time on. Yeah. I Listen, yeah. I've always respected David Mamet. You know why? Because he fucking rocks. Yeah, and now you love he, him. I now don't love know if his he work. rocks. I don't know if he rocks. He certainly rolls. He's a roller. He's a roller. <laughs> I'm going to make you do a David Mamet episode at some point. But no, it's. I think it's. I think uh, a lot of the detachedness in Paul Newman is that's based in Mamet's inherent pessimism, and and maybe not pessimism, yes. but just cynicism. And Mamet's like, this is what life is. I'm going to spell it right the fuck out for you. Whatever you do with it is up to you. But yeah, the verdict that I did not expect that to be on your list, and that is just that's a great, great call. That's great. And then I have one more to round this out because I know you're going to, this is going to blow your top off. Okay. I'm paying attention. <laughs> I oh boy. am now a huge fan of this movie, but I don't think I've ever told you that when I first saw this movie, I did not like it at all. More lies, more fucking lies. All right, go. What and is this it? is from the great movie year of 2007. I did not like Michael Clayton the first time I saw it. It's not like, okay, this is not a lie because you weren't, it's not like I made you watch this and you're like, oh yeah, I mm -mm. really like that movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is one like I loved, I mean, real time watching it. Absolutely loved it. Have always loved it. But let's hear about. No, I remember I saw this uh, uh, with, uh, I believe I went with my college girlfriend and I think this was an expectation situation. Sure. I wanted something. And it's so funny to use this word because now I think the movie is unbelievably incendiary. Oof. But at the time, I think I I, I wanted I wanted um, I don't know. I think I wanted action. Sure. I think I wanted something like not as. <sighs> well, it's just a legalese movie. It's a process. It's you. You literally yeah. you just you just called out 
The Verdict, directed by Sidney Lumet. Yeah. Michael Clayton is a Sidney Lumet movie in 2007. You know, it's like a 70s yeah. Lumet movie circa 2007. And that's and it's just a slow brew. Like, we're just following a guy. Yeah. There's no – the trailer will show you that there's like a car exploding and stuff. But that's not what the movie is. You know, it's not no, what it's, it's about not at all. No, it's not what the movie's yeah. about at all. And, and I think I was looking for something more like that and was not prepared to get a slow burn. And and everything that's happening in the subtleties and the details and all of this and that. And then when I rewatched it for no reason, no reason at all, like a few like a year or two ago, I go, This movie's rocks. Be fucking this rocks, movie's man. so so good. Favorite Clooney. It's been my favorite Clooney. Whoa. Since, oh yeah, I've always Whoa. said that. I fucking love him in that. I love him. If you your favorite Clooney. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, spoiler, but yeah, I've always said that. That is um Man, if you've ever spent time with just a, a stark raving lunatic, what Tom Wilkinson is doing in that movie is so uh, realistic and effective. Just the constant rambling, but the rationalizations and the way yeah. I don't remember the exact line, but he's like, I've spent 22% of my life working for law firms. And then I remember seeing that and actually doing the math. Like I did his age and how long he had worked at the law firm. And I was like, oh God, it is like exactly 22%. Like that's just, it's such a weird way to quantify information. And in that lunacy, they can make some good points, but like maybe you shouldn't be stripping your shirt off in the middle of a deposition to make said point. It's, it's, it's a very, very effective movie. I, I love that movie. First time writer director. Which is fucking crazy when you think about it. That's Gilroy, wild. yeah, Tony Gilroy. He had been in the game Tony for a Gilroy. long time. He had he had screenplays yeah. under his belt, but first time director. God, I love that movie. Yeah, I love it's Michael so Clayton. good. Yeah, really, really like it. Good. I love hearing that. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the last time Michael Clayton's gonna be mentioned in 2024 on this podcast. Stay tuned. Next one we've also talked about. We covered him, did a director's pod on it. This one I still think you're a bit luke lukewarm on. I, I do think let's this. Hear, let's hear it. Let's hear it. First time I saw Inherent Vice in the Arclight Dome, oh. I did not have the slightest fucking clue what was going on the entire time. I, I had no clue what was going on. And I just got mad about it. And I realized like an hour and a half in, I went, I, I guess I was supposed to not follow along and just give into this. But now that I like haven't, I, just, I don't know where we are. I don't know what's going on. I do think this is somewhat the intention of the movie, as weird as that sounds. I do think it's just a it's a very shaggy dog kind of movie. And I never had an interest in revisiting it. Saw it once in the theater and was like, okay, it's exceptionally well shot. Some of the performances are hilarious and fun. And it, you know, it's all good. I like the music and it, all all that stuff. But it took um doing that podcast on him to where I made myself sit down and watch it. I watched it a few times and really tried to get what he was going for. And this is not um, an A-plus movie to me. This isn't one where I've had this drastic about face and I'm like, this is the best PTA movie. I would never say that. But I absolutely get what he was going for now. And I really do love the movie. I love it for everything that it is, not what I think I wanted it to be or what I thought it was going to be. I love it for what it is. But it is a it's a looser than hell movie. Yeah, not my feelings are not lukewarm. I tried with that movie. Yeah, I've tried very hard. And yeah, I still can't. That's what I mean. But like, when was the last time you tried to watch it for the PTA? Okay, for the PTA. I think you mentioned yeah. that even on the pod. Yeah, like a lot of people can't. A lot of people just have a wall. I've actually found that this is what people have with licorice pizza more than anything. People uh, talk about digging your heels in. People just dug their heels in on that movie. 
a, a lot of people who definitely did not see it and just think that that's like the worst movie ever made or something. So I, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, whatever for that. But we've both liked Licorice Pizza since we saw it. But yeah, Inherent Vice is one that of all of his movies, that's the one I've had the most difficult time with and the one that is, yeah, that I still probably have the most difficult time with. But I did not like that movie at all when I saw it in 2014, like at all. And I really appreciate it now. So that's all. I've always enjoyed like the only way that I can really kind of get with that one is when I can't care about it. Yeah. It just has to be on. It's very detached. It's very detached. Yep. I just have to because I, I love the characters. I love I, I love that whole entire world of that time of like Venice and 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 just the weirdness, the hippie culture, the whole entire thing. Like there's some laugh out loud funny moments in that movie for me. too. Oh, yeah. But just as a whole, it's just it. it I, I I mean, Josh Brolin ordering pancakes is it like it's <laughs> extremely funny to me. Extremely funny. Yeah, you it's guys crazy. Some drinks, you're gonna you're gonna need to get good and fucked up for this meal. I love that <laughs> waitress. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I mean, maybe you never will. That's I just wanted to mention it because I know for a fact a lot of people have had issues with that movie. I also know a lot of people who love Inherent Vice and have always loved it. You know, oh, yeah. I never yep. read the novel. So I think if you're into that, like maybe that helps you. Well, that's what my mom said. Thomas Pynchon. Is that is that what it is? Yeah. I mean, yeah. But apparently yep. the novel is like that. Like the novel is very yep. open. And so I, that's what I mean. Like he it sounds like he actually sucked true to the novel. Does it make for a good movie? Does it make for his best movie? I don't know. I'm just saying it's one that I appreciate more because I met it on its own level, on its own terms. Um, th- This is a one that I know that we have talked about this one. I was not a fan of The Wolf of Wall Street the first time I watched it. Oh, yeah. You did mention yep. that. Yeah. I've always fucking loved it. <laughs> yep. And, and now that's just become one where it was an instant switch, too. It was yeah. like the first time I saw it, I was like... What are we doing here? I mean, like, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's outrageous. It's out. It's outrageous. And I was getting <laughs> all of that, but I I found myself just not caring about the movie. And then the second time I watched it, it's like the second it started, <laughs> I was immediately I was like, "What the hell?" Like I am, I'm loving every. And then as every scene goes on, I just go, "Okay, I was just wrong the first right. time I, I watched this." Like, yeah, I I don't know. I must have been in a mood. There must have been something. I don't know what I and now that's just a movie that's just it's what a what a pleasure that movie is every time to put it on. Oh, God. I mean, that's a great one to have a transformation on. But yeah, the outrageous ones. My my last category is the nagging about face knife, too. And I've mentioned them both on this podcast before. But oh, I hated John Carpenter's The Thing the first time I saw it. (laughs) I didn't. I I was I thought it was full of (laughs) plot holes. There's some things about the movie that are still a, a little like odd to me, um, continuity wise and just logic wise. That's okay. That movie rocks, man. I love that movie so it's much. So I just I wasn't was not in the right frame of mind at all. And the fact that that we talked about this, it funny you just brought up 1982 podcast because that's when I mentioned it, and that it wasn't even nominated for best makeup at the Oscars, which is <laughs> just so <laughs> lol. But no, I I really really love that movie now. E- even if it does have a few like goofy things, I do really love that. But I did not like that the first time I saw it, and I think it was because everyone told me I would love it, and I was like, oh, I don't like this. Just being a little fucking brat. <laughs> now this next movie, because COVID was tough, wasn't it? And every- all of us wanted to get back to the movies. That's what everyone was waiting for. Why can't we go back to the movies? No. That's what I was waiting for. Is the main thing. Like ah, I got to get back to the theater. 
Christopher fucking Nolan has a new movie coming out. Oh my God, I cannot wait. And I hated Tenet. I texted you immediately after and I was like, that's a D minus movie. That movie doesn't make any sense. That movie's a piece of shit. I hate it just because you're good at fooling me with computer imagery and all these visual effects. Yeah, all that. I don't care. I need to be able to understand your story. Uh, Tenet is truly one of the most profound about faces I've ever had in my life because I adore this movie now. I've seen it upwards of 11 times. And that was one that it just wouldn't go away in my head. It nagged at me. And I'm like, all right. I mean, it did have some cool scenes. So I saw it like three or four times in the theater because there was nothing else to see. And then it just wouldn't go away. And then it came out on HBO and I like watched it once or twice there. And then I bought the Blu-ray. Now I have the Blu-ray and love it. So that was one where I was actively rejecting it, just being like, uh, because I didn't understand it. Because I didn't understand it, it made me not like it. And that's Hey, that's fair enough. If you watch a movie and it confuses the shit out of you and you realize you hate it because of that, okay. I mean, is it fair that a movie needs 11 viewings for you to love it? I don't know. (laughs) But I do love Tenet now. I do. But you liked it your first viewing, which honestly did surprise me. I did not think you were going to like it, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, and I still need to see it again um, because, I mean, I did have to surrender at one point and be like, okay, I have lost the thread of what is going on here. But I enjoyed too much of what was going on. Yeah. I was pretty invested in terms of the whole entire confusion element. I I remember there did come one point where I was like, all right, it's over now. Like, I I don't know. I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. And then when we get to that final end where it's the... The invert yeah. <laughs> battle. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I got no idea. There's a red team. There's a blue team. That's and, all you uh, need to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I'm telling you, too, if you watch that movie with the captions on, which really is not what Nolan intended, clearly, because he mixed it very deliberately. But you just you get a lot more story when you have the captions on because you're actually like I, I did. People, yeah. Or explaining yep. it. It's yeah. But being in the theater, being like, not only can I not hear what these people are saying, when I can hear it, I don't fucking understand what they're talking about. Uh, what a time. Love Tenet. Love Tenet. <laughs> it's no Oppenheimer, though. I'll just put it that way. Well, All right. So we're done with our positives. Those are our positive about yes. faces. That was a lot of fun. You, you did surprise me. You said you thought you were going to surprise me. It did surprise me. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Now we're going to... Now we're going to get mean, we're going to get nasty, and we're going to talk about a few times when we have seen a movie and maybe overestimated it, and it's sat in our head and been good. And then for whatever reason, we revisited the film or films, and they were not for us. And I could list a few here, quite a few. I'm not going to. I I do have a few, but we're going to keep it, you know, somewhat contained to keep the negativity contained and in a box. Do, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first here? Because you have one that has been the cause of much conversation on what are you watching? Our very first commentary was <laughs> dedicated to it. So I don't know if you want to go first or I I could. I, I don't think we've, uh, we have not talked about mine on the pod. You and I have talked about it. It has not been talked about on the pod before. So I'm a little, <laughs> a little nervous. I there, There's one on here that I'm a little nervous to bring up. I only have two. I only have two. I have, both start with the. Mine, uh, okay, I'll spoil mine. One of mine is a movie and one of mine is a, a body of work. 
Oh, oh damn! Oh my oh, god! Damn. It's a takedown! It's a takedown! Oh, All right, it's a, well, a body do you want to, <laughs> body to say yeah, it's not sorry. just one movie? It's a body of work. It's a legacy. It is. <laughs> oh god, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's time. It's time. Do you want to do the one that people probably, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll fans of the, the pod would know? Let's do it. Yes, that is. <laughs> oh god, I can't believe it. I'm still upset. I'm still upset. I'm still upset. <laughs> Make a rest. That I was unbelievably in love with 2006 Martin Scorsese's The Departed. <laughs> and now I don't think that that movie is very good at all. And I, um, oh God. It I, didn't make either of our Scorsese top tens because we both, it's you, your like evolution with it has been so funny to me because my first viewing of this movie, I, I saw it with a friend and I walked out and he was like, oh, man, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And I was kind of laughing and I went, it was entertaining. It, some things, some of the performances were like very up and over the top on purpose, like it was assembled very well. But there were aspects of that movie that were absurd, like, right? He's like, well, what do you mean? And I go, what, uh, how, how would they not know that it was Leonardo DiCaprio? Like, you you wouldn't know. The dude used to be a cop. Like, the dude, like, it doesn't, he doesn't, Nicholson's crew only has, like, a few new guys. Like, you just investigate <laughs> those fucking guys, and you go, hmm, maybe it's the one that used to be a police officer. And I, that was my argument, and people, I was just the asshole of my friend group for saying this stuff. So I just stopped getting on that soapbox. So I always thought it was... I never thought it was one of Marty's best movies. He does not think it's one of his either. Thelma Schoonmaker does not think it is one of the best. She's the editor. She won her third Academy Award for editing, for editing it. They do not think it is his best work by far. So I've just always found the inherent uh, kind of silliness in it. But you, yeah, you have a, I, <laughs> you don't like I it. Thought, I thought this thing was the godfather. I thought this thing was airtight. No. I thought this was just I thought That's this awesome. airtight thing was the just departed. Airtight. That's <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, I, for ten years, for over ten years, I just thought this movie was just the cat's pajamas. It was just the bee's knees. And then this I'll just never forget during COVID. Oh, you know what I'm going to watch? Oh, it's It's been a long time. I'm going to put on The Departed. And then like 10 minutes in, just being like, that, that, that can't be right. That's not what I know. And then as I just go down, I go, why is there, there's a lot of holes. There's a lot of. That's the you know, thing. The, 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 the ship just started leaking. That's the thing. And then, yeah. I, and I just, I'll never forget the text I sent you. <laughs> I was halfway through and I go. Is The Departed a bad movie? Bad movie, I remember. I started dying laughing. I was just laughing my ass off. That's the thing. Like, you, anyone listening to this, you are you can absolutely say The Departed is my favorite Marty movie. It's my favorite movie to win Best Picture. Fine, go ahead and say that. But you, are, you cannot say that that movie is airtight. That movie has <laughs> gaping holes that make, like... That if anyone with just a modicum of intelligence, if you're living within that world, I'm not talking about us as audience members. Yeah. If you're Martin Sheen, who appears to be somewhat intelligent in the movie, he has no idea that it's Damon. Like, are you fucking kidding it's, me? It's just that movie requires us to believe that no one in the movie talks to each other. No one communicates about, hey, man, all right, let's come over here and just talk about this. The funniest thing is like, 
Sheen is texting, you know, the whole like we're watching the buyers, the buyers are there and they're buying the microprocessors, the buyers are there. And they're like, like, that's William Costigan, that's a new guy. So he names like a few people like, all right, these. And then we know because Martin Sheen's getting the text that his mole is there. So we know that his, everyone in the room knows his mole is, is there. And there's only like four fucking dudes on Nicholson's crew who's there. So why not just investigate them? Obviously, it's one of them. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. I don't I don't it's, like hate the movie because of it. I've always been able to see right through those holes. I was just always and remain completely fucking baffled that this is the only time he's won Best Director. And this is the only Marty movie to have a Best Picture Oscar. I don't hate on it. I'm so glad the man has an Oscar. I don't know if he'll ever win another one, but amen that he has one. But yeah, it is it, it is a fucking far out movie that just like, because of how it's cut and paced, it doesn't want you to catch the, the holes and all the stuff and how just idiotic some of the stuff is. That's all, it's just idiotic, but I still think it's really fun. I do, I think it's a very entertaining movie. I was young <laughs> and I was in love and I was, I and oh God, it, it's it's so hard for me to talk about this movie. <laughs> that was a good one. That was one that fans of the pod will know. I'm very excited to hear your next one. <laughs> My first one is, um, it's something you and I have talked about. It, this is this is tough. I mean, you know, people, whatever. Okay, is this the body of work you're about to shit on? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm doing I'm doing the movie first. Movie okay. first. The body of work. God, I, now I'm re, now you got to be rethinking this. Like this is gonna be mean spirited. Oh well. All right. So the movie. This is a movie a lot of people like. Like a lot of people like this movie. This movie I used to like a lot and would tell people that I liked. Do I like this movie? No. Oh. No. Oh. Okay. Okay. We were researching our Stanley Kubrick episode, and this is ages ago. This is episode 35. And I, you know, I wanted you to watch all the movies. He doesn't have a huge body of work. But then obviously there's a lot of movies tangential to Kubrick that he didn't get to direct, some of which have been made, some of which haven't. And I wanted you to watch one of those. And this has only happened a few times, but there have been a few times in the history of this podcast where we have figured out in the middle of watching a film that we are actually watching the exact same movie kind of close together like in the runtime and that's it's it's only happened two or three times and this is one instance because (laughs) i put on steven spielberg's ai artificial intelligence and a movie that i loved in 2001 and still thought that i loved and this is not a good movie like this movie (laughs) is painfully dull very slow way too sentimental for my adult taste. Maybe that was okay when I was younger in 2001. And I was so shocked at to how little of the movie worked for me because I used to love it. Out of nowhere, I get a text from you. It was your first viewing and you're like, I don't like this movie at all, dude. Like, I hate this movie. And I go, I'm on the same journey with it, man. We're not even going to talk about this on the episode because we were going to give it like its own little bonus section. There are aspects of it I like. You know, it's basically three chapters. The second chapter with Jude Law is the one that I like the most. The third chapter, all the Peter Pan stuff goes on and on and on. I would would never give this movie an F. I probably wouldn't even give it a D. But I I was – I literally on my blog have given that movie an A-plus before. I've given it that grade in between, you know, 2001 and 2021 – and then when I rewatched it for that Kubrick episode, I just I did not like it. Basically, it was just far too sentimental for me. And I was very, very bored by it, but was surprised to hear that it being your first viewing, 
you did not like either. Mm-hmm. So you didn't even have a relationship. You didn't no. even have an evolution with it. It was just uh, one and done. And I, I got to say, I have not revisited it, but this is a movie I own. I was watching my DVD of it because I own it. I bought it when it came out and I've watched it. This wasn't something that I watched once. Like this was just something that when I put it on for the Kubrick episode, it was as a refresher. I just needed to touch base with it and it, a, a completely, a total opinion change on it that I I cannot envision me watching that again. And I've heard people mention it on podcasts. I've even heard friends mention it. And they're like, oh, God, I love that movie. And I, I've never said it, but I want to go, have you watched it recently? Yeah. <laughs> the last time you watched it. But I don't want to do that. That's I, I don't do that. I'm not like... I never, ever, ever, ever want people to re-examine a movie to have a more negative opinion of it. That's not what I want. I want you to go back and rewatch something to try to gain new appreciation for it. But, you know, this is the negative about face section. So, yeah, very stunned that I that movie does not work for me anymore. Interesting. Interesting that yeah. he had at a young age. What happened, Alex? What happened to you? Oh, I just got too fucking cynical. I'm not Mr. Like yeah. Sentiment anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, oh, yeah, it's all it's all about love. And yeah, I just, it's not, you know, I'm a cold, bitter man. That's what I am. I don't know. Again, not a terrible movie. Cool vision. But just, yeah, wow. Was not working for me My uh, when I revisited it. Oh, well, whatever. My next movie... A movie that I still like, this is like a weird about face because I still really enjoy watching this movie, but it is not the movie that I thought it was. Okay. Still to date, some of my favorite acting performances are in this movie. Oh, wow. But I just realized the last time I watched it, I was like, oh, this movie just isn't what I thought it was. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I think you're going to talk about my body of work. Oh, my God. Really? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, what? Oh my God, I think. Can are, I guess? Are, are we going to? Yeah, you can guess. Are you, are you, you about guess. to say The Fighter? I am about to say The Fighter. Holy <laughs> shit! My body of work is David yeah, O. Russell. David o. Russell. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Wow. Oh, dude, that's so. That's wow. too funny. Wow, we did not plan this. Oh, wow. What, a, what are you watching? Fuck you to David yep. O. Russell. Oh, oh my God. I like his wow. body of work. For the most part. I don't. I don't. I'm going to talk about it <laughs> I don't. I don't. at all. And it starts with the fighter. My about it's, face with him starts there. You go first because I. Uh, you go first. You go first. Th- this this has got one of my all-time favorite acting performances ever by Christian Bale. Um, yes. And, uh, it, it, it still astounds me. It floors me. It moves me. The, the movie does. like it, it. The movie does still work for me. But I... I when I first saw it, I thought of it as a certain kind of way. I thought it was just one of the best family drama boxing movies. Mm-hmm. That was just that was just how I felt about it. I would rewatch it and I'd be like, oh, this movie's so good. It's so good. And then I don't know. I think I just rewatched it and I was it was a similar sort of feeling where I was like, this movie is very convenient in a lot of ways. Like it just sort of moves a certain way. That um, the story doesn't really add up to a lot of things. And then one of my favorite parts of it is all the musical montages. Mm -hmm. But then I sort of was like, I think these montages are just sort of like piecing together a lot of the story. Yeah. And it's doing the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, So I still enjoy it. It is just and then I wasn't really a fan of the boxing Mm -hmm. when 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 it came down to it. Yeah, so it's an about face where it wasn't a complete like leveling. It was just sort of like, oh, 
I thought this was a little bit better as a whole than I thought it was, but that is still the performances in this movie. Amy Adams, my God, I still think she should have won the Oscar for this. But Melissa Leo over did, so over, over yeah, yeah, I, I so. would have voted for Amy Adams over Melissa Leo. I would have. Yeah, sure. and, and Mark Wahlberg, I love him in this. So like it, it's really one of those movies where I think over time it just became this to me is a acting movie mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a, a as a whole. Oh, boy. Um, David O. Russell has made one complete and utter masterpiece. And that movie is called Three Kings. And it was released yeah, in so 1999. Good. I would give it an A plus. It is one of my favorite movies of the 90s of that year. That is the least David O. Russell film I think he's made. I don't see anything in that movie that lends itself to the early films in his career or the later part of his career. So I love that movie. So that's how I'm going to start. And then The Fighter happens. And I'm going to touch on all of his films. But The Fighter happens and I go and see it. And like you got to understand where I'm coming from. That The reason I started boxing, one of the reasons was Mickey Ward the real guy. Yeah. So I w- I became obsessed with him in the early 2000s. His fights, his three fights with Arturo Gatti are three of the best fights I've ever seen. And I love the Mickey Ward spirit. So I knew, I knew about these guys. I knew, uh, you know, I'd seen the documentary that they're talking about a lot in the movie, the, you know, crack documentary. I'd seen all that. So I was a big fan. And I also know that just because you're a fan of someone doesn't necessarily set you up to enjoy a movie about them that much. And that's where I have to say that because, you know, this movie does not show the fights between Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti, which is such a a, a baffling omission to me. But it, whatever, that's his creative choice. That's fine. He focuses on Mickey, Mickey's early fights, the early part of his career. Um, it, a lot was made that like Mark Wahlberg, like this, this was supposed to be a Darren Aronofsky film and Aronofsky still is an executive producer on it. But after The Wrestler, he didn't want to do The Fighters and they switched to David or Russell. Mark Wahlberg stayed in this fighting shape for like years and years. And you do all that and that's cool. And the boxing scenes in that movie are terrible. They're truly bad. They're, and if he got into fighting shape or if he proved that he actually could fight, why they would photograph them in such a shitty way, I have no idea. It just looks bad. Beyond that, the performances are good. I like them. Some of the things he includes for Christian Bale, I don't understand. When they're like, Dickie, you're supposed to be across town, and the camera like whip pans over, crashes into him, and he goes, what? Like that. And I'm like, huh? And the camera's just going here, here. And there, there's a music montage, and it's it's like, huh, huh? So I, I don't I don't hate that movie, but I have cooled drastically with each viewing. Now I just kind of like, I, I don't even pay attention to it anymore. Silver Linings Playbook, I liked when it came out. I did. It was made my top 10 of 2012. I watched that a few years ago with my father-in-law because he hadn't seen it. I put it on and uh, had to leave. I couldn't finish it. That I, I fucking hated that movie. It does have some good scenes. I love Shea Wingham. I'm going to love Shea Wingham and everything. So him as a brother, I love him. I love Shea Wingham. De Niro crying at the bed, you know, just need to spend more time together. Fine. Great scene. Don't like that movie at all. (laughs) American Hustle, I saw in the theater. I think that movie is a giant piece of shit. I've never liked it. (laughs) I said as much on the Amy Adams podcast. I just don't like it. Joy, does anyone like talk about Joy? Has anyone seen it? Anyone remember it? That's a shrug for me. Amsterdam was finally the first movie, I think, where critics and audiences were like, okay, because American Hustle got nominated for like 
10, 11, 12, 13 Oscars or some crazy shit, didn't win any. And then by Amsterdam, they're like, all right, yeah, this guy, like, what the hell is this guy doing? The quality of Amsterdam to me is exactly the quality of American Hustle. I don't see any differences in quality, and I've seen American Hustle. So what else do we have? We have I Heart Huckabees. Seen it once, never had a desire to revisit it. Spanking the Monkey, his first movie, is... Uh, that's really something that's 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 a that's really something i cannot believe he was allowed to make that movie it's uh, wow if you know you know that's that's just that's really really something flirting with disaster that one's okay it's all right totally different style than the new stuff he's done like whatever style he locked into with the fighter through amsterdam is not for me and i used to like some of his movies i will always always love three kings i will always love that movie but i used to love like the fighter and beyond some of them and now I just, yeah, it's a very hard negative about face for me. <laughs> I've been wondering when I was going to talk about this because we, you know, you are familiar with my David or Russell stuff, but I, uh, yeah, I just don't, whatever. I don't, I don't like him. That's it. I'm done. I, I mean, uh, what's so funny? I, I, I just, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Do you like any of those movies? You told us about the fighter. Do you like Silver Linings Playbook? I, I, I always did, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. See, this that is was me too. Yeah, that was me. It had been ten years. It had been ten years, and I had not revisited it. And if we recorded this podcast like it, before, I had done that rewatch. I would have been telling people that I liked it. I don't. I've just always the one thing with his movies that I've always liked. We were talking about like the fighter on is I've always liked the acting. There's he, always <sighs> like even in American Hustle, I I really liked mm. Bradley Cooper in that movie. Yeah, it just felt so like over the top and like up and up and I don't know. I I get it. I get that people people do like his work. I I don't I honestly don't even know if I'm if you look at Academy Award nominations, I'm in the min- minority here because Fighter Silver Linings and American Hustle were beloved by the Academy and they just weren't for me. They they were. And and there's people that still they talk about uh, I mean I don't really hear people talk about the fighter that much, but I know people still really talk about American Hustle. They really talk about American Hustle. Like there's people out there mm-hmm. that really like yeah. the movie, and and then Silver Linings too. I have not seen Amsterdam, so I don't really, uh, and I never saw Joy. So I, but I, I did gather at a certain point there was a like uh, a connective tissue that that doesn't really add up a lot. I always liked mm-hmm. I, I heard mm-hmm. Huckabees though, but it's been a while since I saw that too. Yeah, I just did it once. That was all. I just did it once and didn't have a, any desire to go back to it. But that's all. That was it for our the majority of our list. You know, negative, positive. But like a recent film, if you think there's one you've seen, let's say like 2020 to now, that you think, you know, maybe you're a little lukewarm on now, but you think you could foresee you liking a lot in the future. I, I already kind of spoiled it, but the way back, like every time I watch that, it just gets better and better to me. So there, there are some, but you know. I love tracking that kind of staying power with films. Babylon, I should mention, when you said oh. you rewatch it and it became your favorite of 2022, I bought the 4K immediately, put it on, and that thing, I just had a thrilling time. I love oh, that film. I love that film. Oh. oh, God, it looks gorgeous. Jesus Christ, does it look gorgeous. It's, it's so great. You so can great. tell the it's, – it's a shame kind of because there's – not many special features on it and all of his other movies have a lot including a commentary and you can kind of tell it's like well whatever if this didn't if this movie didn't make any money and it didn't get any oscar love like why should i put a lot of attention into the you know special features but the render looks great the 4k render looks great but yeah i would 
the fact that it is his only movie that doesn't have a commentary, a Damon <sighs> Chazelle commentary is a bummer, but that's all right. <sighs> what about you? Do you have any that you think you could like, like more that you're kind of like, eh? Yeah, because I think I the first time I saw it, I wasn't a big fan of it. It got nominated for a lot of Oscars. It was last year. There was even one actor that was going to particularly, like, I think, have a good run at potentially winning it. Um, and it's by like my favorite, like one of my favorite guys, Martin McDonough. Ah, so okay. talking about the Banshees of Inner Sharon. I was lukewarm yeah. on that movie, and I, I still think am. Yeah. Maybe if with a few more viewings, I I could potentially like it more. That's a great call because I'm yeah I'm lukewarm on it too. That that's another expectation movie. I it's wanted an expectation, I yeah. I wanted in Bruges too, and yeah. I realized about forty five minutes in, it's not what this is. You need to put your bullshit aside and value the movie for what it is. And it's still yeah I didn't. That that's another one where I went. It, I thought that movie was very very nominated, and I think he's made better movies. And I was like, this is the one. Okay. This is the one you all love. This is interesting. I know people, my dad loved that movie. He loved did. one of his favorites. And then, yeah, and then my friend Taylor, who you know, that's like one of his least favorite movies he's ever seen. He turned it Whoa. off like 30 minutes in. Hated. I'm wow. talking like, hate, and was mad at me for even like kind of, I don't even know if I suggested it. He but was mad whatever. at you. Yeah, he's like, talk about a weepy baby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my dad loved it and still loved it. So it's just, you know, whatever. It's. We see things, we like it, we don't. I I love bouncing these opinions off my dad because he typically likes a little bit more than I do, and it can be fun to like. If my dad doesn't like something, oh boy, that's that's a that's a big one. So I love talking about Parasite, dude. Fucking hates Parasite. Oh, I know it's so funny <laughs> he how he hates, hates it that so much. I've never met anyone who hates Parasite or really any movie as much as he does. Oh my god, he hates it. Yeah. So funny. It's so funny. Or the like one time I saw him and you were like Nick, just bring up Parasite. Yeah. And, and 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 just like randomly for no reason, and he just like he took things. He was like, "Ah, oh, Nick, his whole body <laughs> dropped." Like yeah. that fucking movie. Uh, all right, what are you watching? All right, so I'm a huge fan of this movie. It's a brand new movie. It's a 2023 movie. Oh shit! It's uh, it's gonna be nominated for Oscars. It's on Netflix as we speak, and I'm talking about May December. This is a great call. I'm glad we're talking about it. I did recommend it. So, you know, in that it, a few episodes ago. So I'm glad you watched it. You did yes. text me and say that you loved it. And this movie rocks. I had yes. no idea where it was going. And I think the biggest Oscar right now is that uh, that kid is going to be giving all the big timers a run for supporting actor. He's going to be given uh, his name is Charles Melton, I believe. He's going to be given De Niro, Mark Ruffalo. Gosling, Downey, Downey. All, I think I think it's going to be those five. I think those are your five supporting actor potentially, and he's going to be right up there. But um, yeah, what'd you like about it? Like, oh, oh I the tone is just everything. so good. Everything. Th this oh. was a, a similar type of experience that I had with Poor Things, where I loved every single second of the movie. Uh, Natalie, oh my Natalie, <sighs> she's so fucking good. She's so she's good. Great. My God. Ah, uh, I, she has been my favorite actress, uh, since I think the first thing I saw her and I was like, oh, I, I really just, I just, there's a humanity to her that she just brings to every performance that I just think is just so real and, um, and honest. And I feel like as she's just gotten older, her work has just deepened more and more and more. And this is like, this is an all timer for me, for her. 
Oh, I yeah. don't even know where I would put this, it, but it would be in the top three. She just absolutely kills it. And, and, and the whole movie, it's just how it handles its subject is so cool because you don't know how to feel ever. The right. whole movie, you don't know how to actually feel for yourself. And you don't, you won't know until it's over. And even then, you're still wondering how you feel about everything. It's, it's wild to keep that going throughout the whole entire thing. I can't wait to watch it again. Definitely going to watch it before I finalize my top 10 of 2023. But I was really, I did not have high expectations for it at all. And I've actually been telling a lot of people about the movie and they all, f- they all assume it's going to be something. And I'm like, it is not that. Believe you me, it ain't that. Go yeah. watch it. And it, yeah, yeah, it's flooring a lot of people. It's a really, it is a really eerie tone for all yes. of them, for Todd Haynes, yep. for Portman, for Julianne Moore, everyone. And it's great. I love them all. I love everyone. Them. Everyone's good. Well, that's great. That's not one that you're going to have an about face on. It sounds like you're locked in. I'm doing something a little different. This is two What Are You Watchings in a row for me that are just, you know, slightly different because by I'm going to talk about a brand new movie, 2023, that I did not fully like and I was actually kind of disappointed by but I'm bringing it up because I want to know what other people think but I did see Michael Mann's Ferrari and I just don't know man I don't I wanted to like it so much more and you were talking to a Michael Mann fan I love Michael Mann people say Miami Vice is too confusing it is people say Miami Vice sucks it doesn't you just got to go watch it 10 more times I'm that guy (laughs) I'm that annoying guy so You know, like Maestro, Ferrari packs, there's a lot in the movie. It's a husband and wife in grief movie. It's a racing movie. It's a mistress with a son movie. It's a character study of a brilliant man. There's so much going on that it becomes too much. And also like Maestro, I wondered if Michael Mann is a little too close to the subject because he packs so much into the movie that he also, by virtue of doing that, you leave a lot out that just novices to Ferrari like me were having a lot of trouble keeping up with. And I'm like, what do you actually want me to be focusing on? Unlike Maestro, Ferrari covers a very short specific time period. So it's kind of that capsule thing that we talk talk about. That was very unclear. I was not aware of that. It took me a while to kind of latch onto that. This is another thing that is not using title cards. And sometimes... I don't know if this is like an Oppenheimer effect that people are like, we're just not doing title cards anymore. It worked in Oppenheimer because, I mean, you know, it was a little confusing. You had to go back and see that. But just like giving us uh, and Ferrari does open with like a, a title card. But tell us a little bit about like where we are. I I just, you know, there's a ah, there's a final race sequence to me that was, you know, it, it was so bafflingly executed for Michael Mann because he kept cross cutting into the race. With just this like kind of mundane, boring B plot shreds or strands. And I'm like, this is kind of an odd choice. Just keep me. So it was stuff like that. And then finally, I'm not going to do any spoilers here. There are two car crashes in the film. And the first one is unintentionally funny to the <laughs> to, like people in my theater laughed. And that is not the intention of the scene. And my jaw dropped and I went. That looked ridiculous. That that just didn't look. I um, okay. You know, moving on. Movie keeps going. Moving on. And then there's a second crash scene 
that is truly one of the most horrifying things I've seen in a movie in the last 10 years. Oh, they wow. Had, they, people gasped. And one woman just yelled out, oh, my God, like loud. And uh, people, it, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. And it, I was like, holy fuck. So, so it's that. There's that disparity going on here where, like, it, some of it is just kind of the majority of this movie is people talking in rooms, which is, you know, a, not every Michael Mann movie. A Michael Mann movie does not need to succeed with men shooting guns at each other. My sever, my second favorite Michael Mann movie is The Insider. There are no guns in that. There are no action scenes in that. It's literally just guys talking in rooms. He knows how to do that. I I didn't I didn't know who I should care about in Ferrari. I didn't know what was more important to care about everyone's good adam driver's great penelope cruz is great shanley woodley's great there's a fun supporting cast some of the guys i didn't know were in it so i don't necessarily want to spoil them but just a a bit of a spotty execution for me so Mm. my final point is this i this is a movie i'm going to give an active about face attempt to i I will never Uh. turn my back on a michael mann movie i'm gonna go back to it because is it just Is it complicated and convoluted and he's not spelling everything out on purpose because it demands repeat viewings? I don't think so. I think it was just a little, there just wasn't a lot for me to latch onto. The story was not as strong as the insider. It wasn't. So if you're going to do something where it's a lot of talking, you got to give me some sort of like a a release from that. Like even Black Hat, I I actually just rewatched the theatrical cut of Black Hat and that movie does not work. The director's cut of that movie is a an astounding experiment in what happens if you shift around scenes in the first hour of your movie. Cause that's really all it does. It just shifts around some stuff and it's so much clearer. The director's cut I'm talking about Ferrari isn't unclear. It's not confusing. I was just kind of bored, which is not a word I would apply to Michael Mann at all. I, and you know, there's not a lot of racing. There just isn't in the final race. I wanted to see the race. I didn't want to keep cutting away to other stuff. And then that crash that I'm talking about while shocking, it kind of came out of nowhere. I wasn't, I wasn't really ready for it, but then like the crash and the setup of the crash is fucking brilliantly executed. You're like, there's Michael Mann. There he is. That's a Michael Mann scene. But you know, it, just not a full endorsement for me. And I'm sorry to be saying this because I wow. love Michael Mann. I is, will Michael Mann be in your top 10 of, 2023 before i saw the movie i'm like well yeah duh and i i don't think that's why i'm talking about it now because i don't think it's gonna make it man i don't wow i i I don't think it i i don't think so but but not turning my back on it i will see it as soon as it is available on whatever streaming platform like i'll rent it for youtube 3.99 whatever not gonna buy it but uh yeah i i just so i really want to hear what other people think of it i want to hear if you know i'm like kind of off the mark or if people loved it or if it's thrilling and i i don't know i don't know the crash scene is something to behold it is one of it, it is a Michael Mann set piece. I was I, I mean, my I was just, my my jaw was dropped. It was dropped. And I went this intensity did not match up with the rest of the movie. It's just a really, really in, great, impactful scene. But at the end of, you know, somewhat of a slog, I'm going to say uh, that's it. So uh, sorry. Wild, sorry, folks. Wild sorry. Stuff. Wild stuff. May December is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like the yes, director's cut. Of Black Hat more than Ferrari, and I'm not that's, being uh, that's a wild facetious. Statement. I'm dead serious. Yeah, oh, the director's man. cut of Black Hat, which very few people can see because you have to buy like the special, you know, 4K Black Hat. But that, it's true, you know. As always, I want to know what everyone thinks about all the films, everything. Want to hear what my what movies you changed your mind on? Want to hear about Ferrari if you've seen it? May December. 
Maestro. We've had Maestro. We've had a good movie year. We've had a good movie year. I want to. I'm really excited to talk about our top ten coming up soon. But you know, anything left to say before we send the folks on their merry way? Happy listening and happy watching. You, you asshole! 116 <laughs> episodes. It's thanks for listening ah. and happy watching. Happy listening would. <laughs> Happy listening. No, because we got to thank everyone for listening to what they've just listened to. Well, thank and then we're you. We're offering them, yes, well, thank you. And then we're offer, offering them happiness in what they go watch, which probably wouldn't be Ferrari. That's not going to bring you joy. May <laughs> December might bring you some joy, though, depending on how fucked up your sensibilities are. Let us know, of course, at WAYW underscore podcast. But as always, thank you for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. We didn't do this on purpose, but next time we are dedicating an entire episode to one of the best movies of the 2000s, Tony Gilroy's Michael Clayton. Stay tuned. <laughs>